Coming up on Chasing the Natty, we're continuing our Crash Course series for each position in college fantasy, and this week, we're running our route trees and strutting our diva feathers for our favorite high-flying targets in fantasy, the wide receivers. We'll be covering the top players of the position, who we think are overrated and underrated, what we think about the wide receivers who have been rising throughout the offseason, and what super-duper deep wide receivers could pay off massively down the road for you. All this and more coming right after this. Caleb Williams dancing, cutting, mesmerizing run by the quarterback. Marvin Harrison, junior touchdown. Marvelous Mar. This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. Everybody, this is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing the Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning. We are the College Fantasy Football Podcast on the Campus of Canton Podcast Network. You can find us on your podcast feed and YouTube every Monday morning, now at 6 a.m. If you want to support the great work that we are doing over here, head on over to campusofcanton.com and subscribe there with one of our three fantabulous Tiers, you'll find everything you need over there for your CFF, Devi, and C2C needs, including rankings, articles, tools, and even more than that. On YouTube, you'll also see our weekly CFF mock draft live streams. We do a CFF draft every Sunday night live with a different guest up until the start of the season. We hang out. We answer your questions in the chat. It is awesome. This week, we have on Mr. Zach Hall the resurgent sir over at fantasy points who you might know on twitter as at cff champs we had a great time so definitely go check out that show right there you can also find me on twitter at cff underscore jared you can find the show at chasing the natty got some fun stuff going on over at campuscanton.com so make sure you check out this kind of stuff right here y'all we got a promo code with home field discount. We just type in campus to Canton at your checkout and you'll get 15% off all of your vintage college gear over there. And then of course, make sure you go and check out our CFF guide over on campus Only 20 bucks got breakdowns on all 133 teams for you guys. Rankings that go super deep, perfectly setting you up for your CFF drafts that are probably all getting ready to kick off here in the next month or so. With all of that out of the way, I got to welcome in our amazing, fantabulous guest and his hair, Mr. Eric Froton. Eric, how are you doing today, sir? Doing well, Jared. After some technical difficulties, I, I hope I'm able to be heard effectively here. Apparently, I need a new microphone for my computer. So that blue Yeti has, uh, has kicked out after a few years of usage, ample usage, I should say. So uh, it's time to get a new one now. Hey, Blue Yetis, they, they, they sound great and everything. And obviously you use, you use that thing so well that it said, hey, my, my time has come. So, but again, you sound great. So we're going to get started here with the wide receivers today, Froton. Let's go ahead and just kind of start from a thousand foot 
view here, maybe 10,000 feet. Maybe we go even higher than that. What When you hear the wide receivers in college fantasy football this year, Eric, what do you think when you hear that? I think of wide receivers, I think in general, it's uh, it's the position with the most variance from year to year from where, you know, us prognosticators try to peg who we think our top 20, 30, et cetera, guys are going to be. If you look at the top 12, you know, the standard wide receiver ones from the preseason to what ends up happening, it's always, always different than what we think it's going to be. So this is the position with the most variance in all of college fantasy football and thus one of the most important to scout properly. Yeah, we definitely as CFFers got hurt a ton last year with the top wide receiver options, but I would say that a lot of it was less us get, just getting it totally wrong and more of just got some terrible injury luck in there. Like who thought JSN was going to be out pretty much the entire year uh, Xavier Worthy, well, Xavier Worthy played, but again, there was a, like, he, he would have been fantastic last year if he and Quinn Ewers could just connect on a few more deep balls throughout the season. Um, trying to think of some of the other guys. A.T. Perry got off to a pretty slow start, but he finished in the top 12 as well. Um, let's see. Yeah, Xavier Worthy, top 40. I should I should have written down these guys already before. So it's, uh, Jermaine yeah. Burton, that, Jermaine Burton was a complete miss. That was a ba- that was a bad one on myself and others who were in on him last year. Miles um, Price, Texas Tech, that was that was a pretty big miss. But I would also chalk that one up to injury. Cedric Tillman, another big one that kind of went down with injury, allowing somebody else yeah. to kind of take his place right there. So we got a little unlucky with the injury last year. But like you said, like definitely. We assume that we know who the top guys are going to be, especially when it is a lot of top guys returning from the previous year. And I don't know about you, Froton. I'm ready to make that same mistake again because I really like the top tier of wide receivers that we have this year. A lot of guys that feel very strong as being able to repeat what they were able to do last year. So definitely probably going to make that mistake here again this year. Speaking of which, I say, Froton, we go ahead and get started and start talking about the top here guys here and real quick i just want to explain a few things for those of you at home again the order in which we present the wide receivers today are based on our ecr rankings over at campus i have to explain that to you because i did not explain that to myself earlier this week when poor froton was dming me about which wide receivers were in the top 12 and for some reason my brain fart kept giving him the top 12 adp wide receivers and i kept telling him we can't talk about him he's not in the top 12 and, and froton's like oh my god jared he's right here in the top 12 anyway i'm rambling now um <laughs> anyway so i'll present to you guys our top 12 here I'm going to run through their names real quick just so you can hear their names, know who's in the top 12, but then Froton and I are going to focus on two guys each that we think is worth talking about the most in this tier of guys right here. So we'll start off with our number one wide receiver for the year, and that is Mr. Marvin Harrison Jr. out of Ohio State. Number two, Mr. Malachi Corley out of Western Kentucky. Number three, Rome Odunze out of Washington. Number four, Torrey Horton out of Colorado State. Number five, Emeka Edubuka out of Ohio State. Number six, Jalen McMillan out of Washington. Number seven, Jacob Cowling out of Arizona. Number eight, Sam Wigless out of Ohio. Number nine, Joshua Cephas out of UTSA. And number 10, DeCorian Clark out of UTSA. 
Number 11, Squirrel White out of Tennessee. And number 12, Devontae Walker out of UNC. So before we get to our two main guys in this tier, it strikes me a ton, Froton, that how much we really are putting into systems when it comes to these wide receivers. Because in this top 12 guys right here, we have two guys out of Ohio State, two guys out of Washington, two guys out of UTSA. And quite frankly, I know some people who would be willing to put two Arizona wide receivers in this top tier of guys. Is that just... Is that just what you've seen across the whole board when it comes to the wide receivers? Is that we're really betting on the system more than we are betting on the actual talent here, Photon? I think it goes to kind of what I opened up with in that we see a pretty high bust rate out of the highly ranked wide receivers. And, you know, some of it, as you mentioned last year, had to do with injury. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of it just has to do with just the uncertainty of knowing, you know, uh, when the what kind of a volume these guys are going to get. And if, Defenses want to tilt coverage to them. They can take them away a little bit in a different way that you can't take away a ball carrier because if you want to hand the ball off to a running back in the backfield, well, there's no defensive alignment can stop you from literally handing it off. Yep. However, you can tend to key on receivers. So, um, and this is something that uh, in my column that I had dealing with wide receivers and the, the position overview as a whole that I wrote earlier this offseason I like to target rooms where the volume is substantial, where I can look at at least two players are going to get a hundred plus targets in some of them, three, you know, mm-hmm. at least 90 plus Akron being one of them. That was, uh, you know, Gil Moorhead being there was a real uh, outlier. We kind of didn't expect to see last year, but here we are. Yep. So I think it has to do with the certainty around those high octane potent offenses where we know the ball is going to be put in the air. Yep. Which one of these two receivers gets a little more, a little less. Well, you know, that's kind of conjecture and and that can vary, but um, we want to target the big offenses where they're throwing the ball at least 35 times per game. They're scoring at least 35 points per game. Because then we know that we are going to get, you know, you're going to have a chance to get the touchdowns. And you're also going to have a chance to get the volume. So th- that's sort of the, um, you know, the wheelhouse we try to pigeonhole. And that's why we get two receivers. Like you see, Book and Harrison, the two UTSA boys, the two Washington guys. Um, six of the 12 are on the same team together. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, if that isn't an indicator, I don't know what is. It also helps that, like you, you mentioned this earlier, when you have one guy that just completely destroyed defenses in the past, and you have teams have an entire offseason to plan on taking that guy away the next year. It helps when you have a team where there are two legitimate options. So you can key in on one guy, but then the other guy's going to be right there to step up. So a lot of times, like in Washington, Ohio State, and UTSA, when you put a lot of these guys side by side, it's never both of them going off in the same week. A lot of times it's kind of them going back and forth, depending on how the defenses are covering them. But that's still great for top wide receivers. I mean, both Egbuka and Marvin Harrison Jr. finished in the top 12 last year. Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan both finished in the top 20 wide receivers last year. So yeah, on a week-by-week basis, it was a little rough sometimes. But in terms of what you get at the end of the year, you're still going to get really, very good value out of teams that have two legitimate options at wide receiver here. 
So we'll go ahead and start with my two yeah. guys. Low bust rate, very low bust rate. Yes, and that's very important. When we're taking these low, you know, high wide receivers. Absolutely. So we're going to break down two guys from each tier here, Photon. I'm going to talk about one of these teams where we do have two wide receivers coming off here into the top 12 in terms of ECR here. And a lot of it has to do with their third option, piecing out to the transfer portal. And a lot of us are kind of wondering who steps up in their place. Of course, I am talking about Mr. Josiah or Josiah, Joshua Cephas and DeCorey and Clark, both out of UTSA here. Some context for those of you who have not been paying attention to the offseason. Zakari Franklin finished as a wide receiver 11 last year. Clear number one option on this team, even though all three of these guys were great at different times last year. He enters the transfer portal, moves on to Ole Miss. And you had Joshua Cephas and DeCorey and Clark, who were very clearly the number two and number three wide receivers for UTSA last year. Cephas finished as wide receiver 31 last year, had a high of wide receiver 22 during weeks 8 and 11, versus DeCorian Clark, who finished as a wide receiver 59, but at, through week 5, he was a wide receiver 4 on the year, and he ended up missing three games at the end of the regular season. For those of you who don't know, I base my yearly rankings, like end of the season rankings, based on total points, not points per game. And... So he got a he got a big hit there towards the end of the year after he tore his ACL against UAB. But going into that week, Clark was the wide receiver 17. So he was off to a phenomenal year. And had he kept going at the pace he was going through those first eight games, he would have scored 219.3 fantasy points. And that would have finished as the wide receiver 7 outperforming Franklin. So... The question now is, like, which one of these two guys do you invest in? Like... There is room, in my opinion, for both of these guys to finish in the top 10 by year's end. But which one of them would you say, Froton, is the better investment out of these two guys? Because like I said, Clark had the better start last year, was on pace to have a better year, but then he gets injured, tears his ACL. That could impact him this year. Versus Cephas was probably the more consistent guy, especially down the stretch last year. Have you found yourself taking one of these guys over the other in drafts, Froton? Well, I find myself with more DeCorian Clark simply because his cost of acquisition was so much more reasonable earlier in the year. Uh, that has obviously changed as we see now because Zakari Franklin moves on post-spring to Ole Miss. So that has drastically shifted the ECR here, as you can see, and the ADPs as well. He's yes, skyrocketed up. Um, and the difference is, you know, Josh Cephas, he is the standard slot receiver. 83% of his routes came from the slot. Um, but when it comes to, you know, the metrics, they're pretty close. You know, Cephas, 2.1 yards per route average. DeCorian Clark, 2.3, you know, and that's right mm -hmm. in line with Zachary Franklin, 2.1. So all three of the starters were over two yards per route. So they're getting, uh, you know, targeted often. The difference between the two is, you know, it comes down to the slot or the non-slot, you know, situation. 45% of DeCorian Clark's routes were deep routes, 20-plus yards down the field. That was only 34% for Cephas, which is natural because you're not going to be stretching the seam the same way that you're going to be, you know, doing so from the outside. So, um, you know, when it comes to catch rate, they're both right on the money. They're both pretty close. I mean, almost mm -hmm. 70% for DeCorian Clark, 
a little bit better, you know, 75% for Cephas, but he's got a lower depth of target. Um, it's obvious that they're both going to be the preferred options on the outside and on the inside. I mean, they're pretty safe in that sense. Um, Tyke uh, Kellogg, Ogle Kellogg is probably the next likely guy to slide into the vacated outside role by Zachary Franklin. He only had a 46% catch rate last year. However, uh, you know, in limited action, his yards per catch, 16.9, led the team. So uh, he as well is running 46% of his routes deep. I think you see him take over that role as the secondary deep threat, provided DeCorian Clark is, you know, not injured and is good to go. The reports we heard out of spring were pretty good that he yes, could have played. That's just saying the right things. He could have played and been a factor. But, um, you know, until we see him on the field uh, and hear the reports out of camp, uh, I tend to believe what I'm hearing. He got er injured early enough where it's not like he's cam rising. He got hurt in the bowl. Mm -hmm. So he does have that extra couple of months, which makes a difference in yes, the ACLs, even though ACLs are kind of like Tommy John surgeries. That's the analogy I use uh, for pitchers where it's just a matter of getting it out of the way and you come back from it. Mm -hmm. um, still, there does have to be a little concern with Clark. So I feel like Cephas uh, in terms of, We've already seen what he's going to do. We already know that he's going to get a significant amount of targets at 115 last year. I think he's a little safer based on that injury play. But Clark has more upside being the outside threat. He's going to get more deep shots. Yeah, I'm not too worried about Clark's injury. I went back and read some of the articles back when he first got injured. It was a clean ACL tear, which was the best case scenario you can hope for whenever that injury occurs. The prognosis was about six to ten months he was out there in pads already in the spring. That tells me it's pro it was going to be closer to that six months recovery rather than the 10 months, which means he should be well good to go by the time the season starts. If he can get that full fall camp experience, I have no worries about him whatsoever regarding that injury. The only thing I might worry about is kind of like you said, like if Cephas, well, Cephas was kind of suspended because of the DUWI incident as well. So it's not like he was out there practicing with Harris as well. But UTSA has knows what they have in both of those guys. So it's not like a oh one of them has an opportunity to build chemistry versus the other. They already built the chemistry. I'm rambling again. You did answer my question there, Photon. I have it at the bottom of my sheet here about do you have a preferred third option out of UTSA? You are a big fan of the, you know, third wide receiver option in a lot of these pass heavy offenses because they typically go so yeah. much later. You are on the Ogle Kellogg train. I like Chris Carpenter. I thought he looked really good in the bowl game. Again, like he um, has a great ability to provide separation. He was the first. Um, he provided UTSA's first punt return touchdown in the school's history last year, which is phenomenal right there. And then I can't ignore the good things I've been hearing about Juco transfer William McCoy being brought in as well. All three of those guys are available super late in your options. Do a little bit of research. Find out which one you think is most likely to get that third spot because I think Eric and I both agree there's definitely a lot of value right there. So, Froton, let's move over to your two guys here out of the top 12 that you think are the most important to discuss here. Talk to me about your two guys here, Froton, as I highlight them here on the board. Yeah, out of the top 12, we have number seven there, Jacob Powing. 
four, Arizona. And what really stood out to me about Cowing, obviously he came over last year uh, from UTEP, which went from being laughing stock to, you know, a, a legitimate CUSA offense. It needs to be paid attention to, especially in a watered down CUSA with the aforementioned UTSA kicking up to the AAC this year, uh, as well as UAB. There's just, there's not a lot. There's not a lot of defense being played in that nine-team pseudo-conference. So uh, that's, you know, coming over from UTEP, uh, right away out of the gate, for the first five games, he got double-digit targets. And out of his seven touchdowns that he accrued all season long, all seven touchdowns came in the first five games. All right, now that's important. Because he's playing against a, a fairly low level of competition in those games. You know, North Dakota State, uh, a listless Cal team, the infamous Colorado of last year. They couldn't do anything to stop anybody. Um, and then even though San Diego State has a good defense, they're, you know, they played them week one uh, where they were kind of retooling, losing Cam Thomas, uh, you know, from that line who is a biblical havoc creator uh, in the G5. So the fact that of his touchdowns, every single one of his touchdowns came in the first five games. Yep. Four of the five games where he got double-digit targets came in the first five games. And then you look at what happened when he got into the meat of that Pac-12 schedule. Oregon, Washington, USC, Utah, UCLA, Washington State, Arizona State. His production fell off, and you saw Ted uh, you know, McMillan, his production started to increase. That's a concern for me. When we're talking about the rarefied air of the number seven overall receiver, according to ECR, that gives me pause because, you know, he is primarily a slot receiver. You know, in terms of what he was doing, 70% of his routes came out of the slot. Um, so he's not getting targeted specifically downfield as much. You know, that certainly is a role that McMillan took on as 6'4", you know, 210, premium top 10 uh, wideout prospect coming out of high school. All these factors where I see McMillan, you know, taking a step this year after he's gotten his feet under him. And he caught less than 50% of his targets, you know, so there was room to grow for Ted. Um, but I think it's a concern for me to see that fall off in productivity. He's still getting plenty of targets. PPR, he's certainly an asset, but if we're looking at more performance-related leagues, which you and I kind of like, Jared, we're not really PPR proponents, mm -hmm. uh, given the proliferation of passing in the CFF world, that does give me pause. Under 40 yards in three of his last four games, I don't like the trend of cowing. While I appreciate the high floor he presents, I do think you have to look at what happened in the second half of the season and how that affected him. And that that has to be, you know, that's something that I'm concerned about as the number seven overall wide receiver. Yeah, for sure. I think that is definitely a lot, definitely a lot to be concerned about there. I mean, he threw week seven, he was the wide receiver two. By the time the season ended again, dropped to wide receiver 20. Definitely kind of boosted up by that early season production right there. Um, one thing that I want to ask you about, Froton, again, according to the beat writers over at 247 with Arizona, Cowling is moving to the outside this year. With Singer transferring, Cowling will Fair be moving gone. to the outside. They're probably going to see either Montana Lamonius Craig or 
uh, Kevin Green, the true sophomore there in the slot. Or actually, no, I think he's a redshirt freshman. Uh, Kevin Green there in the slot. Does that kind of help you? Or does that kind of alleviate some of your concern, knowing that he might be able to get a few more of those deep down the field targets that were kind of eluding him, especially in the second half year, second half of the year? Well, it's a different skill set that we're talking about now. You know, you're talking about moving from a primary slot role to an outside role. And, you know, Dorian Singer, who is replacing, was one of the best deep receivers in the country last year. That's why USC went after him. Yes, sir. Um, you know, surprisingly, of his 19 targets that he got, uh, in the red zone last year, he only caught three of them. So he was primarily a deep receiver, and he was damn good. His ball tracking, if you're watching, you know, uh, Singer's highlights and, you know, breaking down some of his film, his ball tracking downfield was exceptional. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he really did a great job of catching those in. And, you know, there were a few of them where he's pretty well covered, and he just has the ability to to track it, you know, set up his defender – and late in his route tree, be able to win. And that's a, a very specific skill set that I have to see from Cowing that hasn't been displayed yet. So I'm not quite ready to just, uh, you know, ascribe that to him until I see it. But, you know, he's going to get 110 to 120 targets. So there is a high floor aspect to it. We also know that Arizona has a putrid pass defense putrid i mean their defense is pitiful they're going to have to throw the ball early and often in order to remain competitive in these games that's good for us as well yes sir um so you know all those sort of things that we look for from a college fantasy perspective are in his favor but um the trend in terms of the back half does have me you know concerned i think it's you know he's very realistic to be in that 15 to 20 range I, i think that's legit but uh, I'm, I'm having trouble taking him in, you know, the, the round two uh, draft capital that he's going to command. No, absolutely. What about your other guy here, Froton, Mr. Sam Wigless out of Ohio? Yeah, Ohio State transfer. Getting wiggy with it over there, Sam Wigless. Uh, you know, like Sam. I mean, what's not to like? Everybody loves the Mac, obviously. And Ohio you know, with Tim Albin there, uh, the handpicked successor of Frank Solich, it's as stable a program as you're going to get in, in that particular conference. Uh, outside of probably Toledo. Toledo's right there with him, too, with Jason Candle. But um, with Wigless, just a savvy guy, very savvy. And you see his ability to manipulate defenders and make, you know, tough catches off of his routes. Uh, you know, you like him. And the fact that he's playing a, a low-level competition with somebody who comes out of that Ohio State wide receiver room sort of reminds me a little bit of, of Mac Hippenhammer uh, of Miami, where he went from Penn State, where he was, you know, a, a very highly rated prospect, you know, four-star guy, goes down to Miami, Ohio, and, and he is a man among boys mm-hmm. in that particular conference. You know, I see that with Wiggles as well. And unlike Cowling, you know, he's a lot more consistent. You know, he was, in fact, got better, I would say, as the season went on. He got more comfortable with the system. Um, Has Curtis Rourke throwing to him? But, you know, I guess one concern I have is, okay, Curtis Rourke, ACL. Uh, Another guy coming off an ACL. Uh, You know, supposedly we're hearing good things about him being ready, but we always hear these sort of things, it seems like. Everybody's pumping guys up in the offseason. Everybody wants to, you know, put a good foot forward. Um, 
hopefully that is a case where he returns and he has the the same you know dual threat ability to continue the Rourke Ohio University dynasty. Nathan obviously his older brother gives way to uh, excuse me um, uh, to Curtis you know yes, or the other way around I forget which one which anyways Curtis the two is still brothers, in college. Curtis is still in college right Nathan Curtis whichever I forget which one they're they're like the Carr brothers Derek and David like which one. They're both Fresno guys. Okay. You know, I get them all confused all the time. And, and people get mad at me when I call Derek Carr, David Carr, because he's on the, the Raiders now, but I, I don't apologize. Hey, too bad. You have two great Fresno QBs that yes, look sir. exactly alike. Hey, that's how it is. Um, but, uh, you know, point is Wigless being number eight, you know, ahead of the two guys that you had mentioned. Uh, ahead of Squirrel White, you know, ahead of Devontae Walker, who, you know, he does go to North Carolina, and there is a little conjecture involved in that. But he's got Drake May throwing to him. Um, that's a big – man, number eight overall for Sam. That's a big number. And he mm-hmm. is, again, he's a slot receiver. And, you know, 90% of his routes out of the slot. Um, got 98 targets last year. So he didn't crack the 100-target threshold that you want to see. And that is including Wyoming, uh, where he got seven targets, you know, caught four of them. So in terms of the regular season, he only got 90 targets last year, which isn't the, you know, 135 that we saw out of Zachary Franklin that he's mm-hmm. vacated. Um, you know, Roar coming off an ACL, slot receiver, doesn't have the huge volume that you'd like to see because, you know, there is a lot of balance when it comes to Ohio, C. Bangura, uh, a very top 20 running back prospect. So, I would say that Sam, you know, at number eight overall is kind of bold, kind of bold, even though I do have a lot of respect for him. He is a little bit touchdown dependent, 11 touchdowns coming from that. Uh, I think he's probably closer to wide receiver two territory. I'd be a little nervous about Sam being my wide receiver one. Yeah, he finishes the wide receiver 23 last year. I He's definitely one of those guys where if you're taking Sam Wiggles this high, you're taking him because you know he's a pretty safe play. You know, the, like his floor, like even if he doesn't do as well as last year, like his floor is like wide receiver 36. You can take your shots elsewhere in terms of trying to hit those guys that can go, that'll probably finish in the top one or, or top one, top 12 wide receivers that are just going later because maybe they're in a system where we don't know who the number one guy is right there. I have taken one or two shares of Sam Wiggles, but I'm kind of in the same place as you, Froton, where like when he's coming off the board, they're just other guys that I feel better about finishing in the top range there. And granted, I'm starting to believe the reports about Cordis Rourke coming back on time for game one of this season, but Wiggles' production took a dive last year when Curtis Rourke went out. Like, two games under 10, yep. 10 fantasy points in a half PPR format. Like, it was not pretty for people who have been relying on Wiggles up until that point for Maction. So, if CJ Harris is your starter, now maybe, granted, maybe him and CJ Harris have developed some really good chemistry in the offseason. That can happen. Those are the things we don't see. I agree with you, though, that him being this high at number eight, and quite frankly, I'm looking at my rankings, I probably got to drop him down one or two spots because um, I probably have him a little bit high here. I actually kind of agree more with where he's going in ADP because ADP has him this past month at wide receiver 15. 
Yeah. So that, that feels that's about that, what I've been seeing it as well. That feels know? a and little bit better. The fourth round, fifth round range where look, wide receiver two that you can bank on. That's a different conversation, you know, mm-hmm. than than needing him to, to be a, a, you know, a, a, a complete baseline to be pretty high. You might be asking a little much. For him. I agree. Alrighty. Let's move on to our next tier of wide receivers here these are wide receivers 13 through 24 run through these guys real quick number 13 Tetsurian McMillan out of Arizona number 14 Troy Franklin out of Oregon number 15 Matthew Golden out of Houston number 16 Malik Neighbors out of LSU number 17 Mr. Mr. Xavier Worthy out of Texas number 18 Derwin Burgess out of Georgia Southern number 19 Jordan Curley out of SMU number 20 Luther Burden out of Missouri. Number 21, Jamari Thrash out of Louisville. Number 22, Jamal Banks out of Wake Forest. Number 23, Antoine Wells Jr. out of South Carolina. And then number 24, Tyron Smith out of UTEP. Proton, before we get to our guys here, you look at this tier, you look at the list of guys here, what are you seeing just kind of overall? Yeah, I mean, this is a pretty solid group. I mean, especially with Ted Aroa McMillan, we've seen him definitely go up. I mean, all the way up to number 13, I think that's, you know, a, uh, a product of what we were talking about system-wise. We know he's going to get the looks. We know that there's a clear path with Dorian Singer moving on to be the primary outside threat in those deep balls, and we know it's a team that's going to throw. Uh, I think he's been going in the earlier drafts I had seen in the fifth, sixth round range. I'm seeing him in round three pretty much everywhere I go right now, and that's that's really uh, a credit to him where everybody's kind of waking up and saying, oh, okay, Tet is good. coming. He's going to get all those looks downfield, and that is a very attractive place to be. Um, that's certainly what, what jumps out. But, you know, I, I've got my, my other two that I'm, I'm ready to discuss and, and, uh, and go with. And good for, good for Tyron Smith for going back to UTEP, helping all of his college fantasy football investors and managers like ourselves he wasn't going to get anything done at texas a&m he wasn't going to be on our radar all of a sudden here bang he's in that wide receiver two range good for you tyron smith doing what it takes for the college fantasy community i bet he transferred out of utep with the understanding that a guy like ania smith or moose muhammad were going to move on I bet you that's what what happened there. I bet he transferred out of UTEP thinking that one of those starting spots were going to open up and that he could come in and make a difference there. And then when both of those guys came back, he was just like, yeah, no way I'm beating out those veterans right there, especially because Tyron's a pretty small guy for the most part, if I remember his measurements right. Like, he's well under six foot. Yeah, he's, he's slot only, pretty much, or at least that's what he was. Yeah, uh, pretty, he, like slot only. At Texas A&M, playing the SEC, it was probably not going to be great regardless. But now, but once everybody came back, there was just no path to him for that. And I'm glad that both Texas A&M and UTEP kind of worked things out to where he could transfer back and play almost immediately. I, I'm, I'm glad that they were able to help him out like that. Or school should do that for these kids. All right, Froton, let's get to your two guys right here. You're going to go first this time around. You wanted to discuss Mr. Jordan Curley out of SMU. Mr. Luther Burden out of Missouri. So pick whichever one you want to start with first, Eric, and we'll go from there. We'll go with Larry Moe and Jordan Curley. Um, Curley, as we know, Rasheed Rice just absolutely took the air out of that room last year. He was a target hog, second round pick. Not a lot of those coming through 
the AAC, you know, as a wide receiver. Um, you know, he goes to, to Kansas City, which even makes him a little more appealing on that side. But, you know, 52 targets for Jordan Curley um, was very effective, 2.2 yards per route. Uh, in terms of, you know, his uh, his usage, he, he 88% of his snaps were out wide. It seems like he should be filling that role. But you watch with Rasheed Rice, you know, he's a physical, he's filled out, physical receiver. You see him running a variety of routes, you know, the comebacks, uh, as well as the flies. So, like, they're using him in basically every way they can get. They want to get him the ball. So, are they going to use Jordan Curley in that same fashion? Yeah, I mean, sure, it, on a per-play basis in his 52 targets, he caught 71% of his passes, uh, 15.9 yards per catch, six touchdowns, great. That's no problem, but – the same usage, is it going to be the same thing? You got Jordan Hudson in town now coming over from TCU. He was already there, you know, at SMU, did his one-year internship at, uh, at TCU before going back to do that. So, um, you know, we will have a little extra competition. It seems to make sense that he'd be that number one guy at SMU with Rhett Lashley back in town, with Preston Stone. Uh, you know, assuming a, a four-star, his rightful starting spot. It all does look linear and does make sense. Brett Lashley was thrown for over 300 yards a game when he was there in his first iteration under Sonny Dykes. Um, so that all does sort of make sense. But I do think there is a little bit of projection involved here that we aren't completely sure. And I do have Jordan Curley in the 20-team Nick Ian Allen CFB winning edge dynasty league. Uh, so I am invested from that point of view, but I do think, you know, looking at the options we have here, I, you know, I, Antoine Wells, I mean, I, I feel like we've already seen him do it. We already know the buzz he's getting. We know they're going to throw. He's got Spencer Rattler there. Um, you know, Jamari Thrash, who is somebody you'll talk about. The upside there in Louisville is huge. I, I do think there is a little bit of caution that we should have when selecting him as a top 20 wide receiver for Jordan Curley, I just don't think he's, you know, the Matthew Golden, the, the Franklin, the Malik Neighbors, the Xavier Worthy, all those guys right there in that same line. I, I've seen him do it. I, I've seen him, you know, uh, produce at a pretty high level. I, I haven't seen the full boat out of Jordan Curley. So I do think he is a little bit, uh, you know, might be a little over his shoes on this ADP a little bit for myself is what I look the, at. And, and what I would argue Froton is the discounts already here. If we knew Curly was the number one guy at SMU, he'd be a first round pick right now in CFF drafts. Cause that's just what Rhett Lashley's wide receivers do. They are top wide receivers for CFF year in year out. Rashi Rice, third wide receiver overall last year. Like, obviously, maybe I'm not expecting maybe Curly to do that, but, like, think about all the guys that Rash, Lashley has produced. Charleston Rambo was incredible, and that was a huge— that was, a, that was not a good Miami wide receiver room over there. Think about guys like Reggie Roberson. Think about guys like Danny Gray. Like, when he finds his guys, he produces top-tier wide receivers for CFF on a yearly, yearly basis. According to our CFF guide— Rhett Lashley is the number two coach in America 
when it comes to producing wide receiver one fantasy points per game over the last five years. That's just what he does. So Jordan Curley getting knocked down here to the wide receiver 19, getting taken in the third, fourth round, that is the discount in my opinion. Because again, if we knew it with more certainty that he was the guy, like if, if Rashi Rice is coming back again this year, or Jordan Curley did it last year, yeah. like again, he'd be a first round pick right now. This is your discount right here. So I think it's perfectly fair to put him in this range right here, given, like you said, just how linear everything seems. He's got a good quarterback behind him. He's in a system that produces wide receiver ones for CFF. I have no problem with Curly here. Speaking of projection, though, Froton, I would definitely agree more that Luther Burden taking a massive step forward this year for Missouri. There is some projection there, but there's a lot to be excited about as well. So why don't you break him down for us? Yeah, there's definitely a lot to be excited about. And, you know, uh, number one prospect coming out of his high school class. You watch the highlights, and he's very explosive in the short yardage, you know, the, those quick hits, the bubble screens. Um, you know, they wanted to get the ball to him and let him work, you know. Uh, but 6.6, 6.5 yards after catch, that's pretty damn good. Um, I guess, the, you know, what you're doing is there's projection involved. Here. You know, you only 75 targets last year. Dominic Lovett is now gone, so you expect more. Um, they do have a very experienced offensive line there, so you'd think Brady Cook should be better. That is a question. You know, he doesn't have the great quarterback, um, even though they do have, you know, a fairly pass-heavy system. It's just a question of how, how much he matures and how he's able to fill the role and what that role looks like. Because even though Dominic Lovett, uh, was the number wide receiver one last year, and, and he dominated the targets, 800 yards, two touchdowns. How exciting is that? How potent is this offense overall, which gets to, you know, that's what we look at in the first round. That should be the, the first set of receivers, I guess you could say, is part of the appeal is the potency of the offense. Mm -hmm. Are we sure that, that Missouri is going to be that? Are we sure Missouri is going to be an offense where it's like, yes, I feel comfortable week in, week out, right, with the Missouri Tigers playing the sixth toughest schedule in the entire country in the SEC East, do we feel comfortable with an offense that put up less than 25 points per game last year, threw for 214 yards per game last year, developing a high-volume week in, week out wide receiver two? Now, that – I think that remains to be seen. Um, I don't feel comfortable with putting Luther Burden at number 20. I think he's probably a little bit more accurate, going to be around the, the 30 mark for me when uh, when my next set of rankings kind of comes out. And a lot of it does have to do with a certain uncertainty around the system, uncertainty with the quarterback position, uncertainty with the schedule and what they're going to have to deal with on a defensive basis. You know, where they draw LSU out of the uh, out West. of the West as well. Nobody wants that. You obviously nope. got Georgia in there. Um, you do have to play at Arkansas in the last game of the season, too. That's out of the West. You know, it could be could be better, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, I just think Kansas State out of the off-conference slate, there's not an easy path. And what you'll hear about, uh, you know, with other guys, startability is a big thing. Mm -hmm. Week in, week out. And best ball, not as much of an issue. You just take him and you roll him, which is why I zero issue love the best, best ball, ball format. Yeah, it's not. It's just you just roll him and you can just kind of do it. But you got to make decisions week in and week out 
in these larger formats, in the in the weekly formats where you're you're having to make calls. It can be a tough call that week of Georgia, that week of LSU, you know, um, and that's really what it kind of comes into Missouri for me. How good is the overall offense? Not the player, not how they project to the next level. How good is the actual offense itself? And that is really the problem with Luther Burden. Yeah, Luther Burden, to me, got a really short end of the stick last year, pretty much in everything except for the number of touchdowns, which they're, that's one thing I'm excited about is the fact they clearly want to get him a ton of touchdowns. I mean, all of the NIL deals that they have surrounding this kid in order to keep him in Missouri, they have to keep his <laughs> name up there on the screen during their football game. Yeah. So they're, they're going to go out of their way to get him touchdowns. But this number just stands out to me, 8.3 yards per reception last year 45 receptions and less than 400 yards last year that is just abysmal usage for a guy that is a five-star wide receiver i get it he has a skill set that like eric mentioned he's good at getting yards after the catch but when one-third of his targets are behind the line of scrimmage that is setting you up for cff failure and it is why i am excited about the offensive coordinator hire that they did make in kirby moore bringing him over from fresno state Learning under Kalen DeBoer for several years, learned under Ted um, Ledford last year. Kalen DeBoer, um, again, bringing this stat back up, number eight in the country in terms of head coach, in terms of producing wide receiver ones. The slot position in that system has done well over the years. That is where Luther Burden is now moving to with Dominic Lovett moving on to Georgia. Lots and lots of things definitely building up well here for Luther Burden to make a huge jump into this next upcoming year again obviously some concerns here that's why he's not in the top 12 wide receivers you take a guy that's much safer and then you shoot for some upside here with luther burden let's hope he connects more on some of these deep passes 14 targets 20 yards plus down the field last year connected on one of them hoping that definitely improves this next upcoming year again a couple of drops in there so well one drop 12 yeah and not much of a contested yeah, only 25% of his contested targets, too, that so, he caught. So, you know, there's, there's growth that has to happen. But, you know, like you said, there, there are definitely things in this factor. I'm not avoiding him. I'm just, you know, looking for the right price. Yeah. Whenever I get him, because I typically go wide receiver heavy early on in a lot of CFF drafts. If I'm going after Luther Burden, he's usually my third wide receiver off the board, and that is very comfortable for me because I'm usually feeling a lot better about the two guys in front of him. And then... Burden's just that upside play that comes later. Yeah, I've been seeing him go like right around the seventh, eighth round or so. You know, six to eight range is where he's going in terms of the draft. And the 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 further you get down that board, you know, in the seven and eight range, I think the better it gets. You know, for him, gosh, you can get him in the eighth round. Yeah, yeah I'm looking looking at it now. Double yeah, double that position. Okay. In June, he definitely moved up because I have him as his June ADP as middle of the fifth round wide receiver 22. Okay. So he's definitely yeah, starting he's to gone. move up a little bit. Yeah. All righty. Let's go ahead and move on to my guys here that I really want to discuss. And that is two guys that are pure system plays in my mind here. The first of which is Mr. Jamari Thrash. They're out of Louisville. I was a little hesitant to believe that I can just project a transfer, a G5 transfer going up to a Power 5 program and him being the number one guy. Got burned on that a couple of times last year. Definitely some issues there when you try to project that. But man, I can't ignore 
the reports coming out of Louisville that make it sound like that he is clearly far and away the best wide receiver they have here. And this is the perfect system for a guy to break away like that. I've referenced coaches throughout this podcast in terms of who is the best when it comes to producing wide receiver one numbers for fantasy in college football. Jeff Brom is the number one coach in America over the last five years when it comes to producing fantasy points for his wide receivers. Don't believe me? Just look at guys like Charlie Jones, David Bell, Rondale Moore over the last couple of years. Just been absolutely, absolutely insane numbers after insane numbers. And he can do it with guys that, again, haven't really been like they're not these aren't I mean maybe with the exa- with the exception of Rondell Moore who was really good in his freshman year like a lot of these guys aren't blue chip recruits he just finds guys that really stand out amongst his guys so you go to Louisville you go into the ACC which is less worrisome as in terms of a defensive conference than the Big 12 or the Big 10 excuse me if Jamari Thrash is really standing out amongst all of these guys He's going at a major discount right now. Again, his ADP wide receiver 19 uh, towards the end of the fourth round. If he lives up to the potential of a wide receiver one for Jeff Brom's system, that's a huge, huge discount. Because we were taking, we were projecting guys like David Bell, and we were taking him in the first round during his first year after Rondell Moore. I mean, Charlie Jones, if we had known Charlie Jones was the wide receiver one last year, we probably would have projected him just as high. So I love the discount that you're getting with Jamari Thrash. I've started getting very aggressive. If he's there in the third round for me now, I pretty much snatch that right up. I think, again, they're similar to Curly. If we knew that he was, like, the system was going to be fine, he would be the clear, he would be a first or second round pick. I'll take the discount there in the third round right there. The one concern I have is that Brahms' first year at Purdue, we didn't see these crazy wide receiver one numbers. Now, maybe this is just a system evolving since then, but even so, like not a bunch, not not great wide receiver numbers his first year there at Purdue. So maybe we're a year early here. But again, all the beat reporters have been saying that Thrash is the standout there. I'm going to take their word for it. I love Thrash here. Proton, you got thoughts, man? Yeah, I mean, gosh. Last year, I, all the drafts, trying to figure out who is going to be the Purdue wide receiver one. Is it going to be Tyrone Tracy, who now moves to running back? <laughs> you know, it was going to be TJ Sheffield uh, or very, you know, not a lot of Chuck Sizzle, not a lot of early Chuck Sizzle love, despite him coming over from Iowa. And the reason why is, I mean, how do you know what's coming out of Iowa? You just don't know. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's nothing to base anything off of because they don't have a offense that is in this millennium. So, um, you know, that was really the issue is just uh, just identifying who's it going to be. I feel like we have a little better idea, you know, this year with Thrash, because obviously we got to see what he did uh, over at, at Georgia State uh, last year and now coming over here. I do have a little concern. I mean, you have Kevin Coleman coming over from Jacksonville State, who is a four-star, uh, young, you know, a little bit raw. Thrash is more developed. Hopefully he's able to hold off Coleman for the entirety of the year, since I would think that, you know, if he starts to get his feet wet under him, he could cut into those looks. I'm not concerned about Amari Huggins Bruce at all. I've watched too much of him. He is not a number one receiver type. Nope. So I really do think that the internal options are not going to be able to, to push Thrash much at all. 
Nor does it matter because, you know, Brom comes in with a clean slate. He goes, yep. doesn't owe anybody anything. If you want to stick around, you, you know, here's the deal. But, um, you know, that's the new receiver, excuse me, a new complete coach, reorganizes the whole depth chart, bringing in his guys. Coleman would be the one that, that I'd look at as a potential two, especially because, you know, he'll be around a little longer and could inherit that role, especially from a dynasty point of view. Oh, yeah. He's a great pickup in dynasty right now. And like Thrash, the, uh, another point in Thrash's favor is that again he's very comfortable being the wide receiver one. Like we're not just basing this entirely off of spring and summer camp reports here and everything like that. Like we've seen Thrash be a dominant number one wide receiver. The ending to last year was one of the quietest, like crazy wide receiver numbers I've seen in his CFF in a long time. Like he finished the year sixteen point two. 20, 20.9, 21.6, and 27.2 fantasy points in each of those games. And it felt like nobody was talking about that. But again, he went out there, he dominated. And I'm, I'm as far as I could tell with these camp reviews, he's going to go out and do it again in a ACC that I think he'll be able to eat on pretty, pretty well there. Again, if camp reports are to be believed here. Let's move yeah. on to another guy I am pretty hyped about as well but again like i think there is more room for discussion about his value here talk about mr jamal banks wide receiver out of wake forest this x receiver position has been home to lovely lovely cff options over the year you're talking about guys like uh sage sherrod jakiri roberson at perry last year greg dorch from a couple from several years ago here like this is just what Dave Clawson does with his X receiver position. They feed him a bunch of targets. They target them downfield. They have a very good passing attack over here. I believe Clawson, again, another guy that's in the top 10 in terms of producing wide receiver one numbers here. Banks played as a backup to Perry last year. And even in that duty showed that he had that game breaking ability to take over games last year. I mean, look at his games against Liberty, Clemson, Boston College, Guys that or teams at all three different levels of competition there because it's not like he just fed on some really really pathetic defenses last year. Like he put up six catches, 141 yards, and two touchdowns on Clemson. Clemson's a good defense. I don't care if people think that Clemson's fallen off. That's a good good defense right there. He proved that he can be relied upon for this coaching staff. So no way he's losing that X position right there. Now the big question is Donovan Green. Donovan Green. Former four-star wide receiver, looked good at times, couldn't really stay healthy, hasn't really been able to take that next step. He looks good this offseason as well. He should be playing over in the Z position, which, again, kind of fills a lot of the same roles as the X position playing on the outside there. Do we see Green and Banks kind of go back and forth, or does one of these guys kind of separate themselves from the other here? The big thing here, though, is that Banks is going so much higher than Green. Banks, wide receiver 24 and ADP, end of the fifth round, while Green goes way later, closer to round 20 in a lot of these drafts right here. So just from a pure value perspective, like I love Banks. I love the position that he is playing. That's why I'm willing to invest in him in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, wherever he's falling. But at the same time, I do have to just kind of put it out there to people that like, hey, like Green has a case to make here as well because Green had some pretty big games last year as well although he didn't quite have the takeover games that banks had at times 
I still think it is still worth warning everybody about out there about that as well. Froton, your thoughts here on Banks, Green, or just a wide receiver room at Wake Forest? Yeah, we'll definitely get to Donovan Green uh, a little later as part of my uh, part of this uh, little exercise here. So I'll save too much of my comments for that. But uh, there is a, a clear inequity between the ADP of both of these players. Now, Jamal Banks is, look, as you said, Wake Forest, the claw, Dave Clawson. As right as rain, you are getting a productive receiver out of that offense. Yes, sir. We're getting one. That's going to happen. I feel very confident about it. It doesn't matter if it's Sam Hardman. Obviously, he moves on. Jamie Newman was there, and he lit it up when he was there during his time. Now we have Mitch Griffiths, who threw for over 300 yards in his lone start with uh, Sam Hardman having a rib bone removed, which now will be made into a necklace. How enterprising of him. Um, but, you know, Griffiths is a guy who's been the understudy and who's been groomed to take that job over for two years. Did well in his first, uh, you know, foray into it. And even though you could expect a reasonable drop because the best program quarterback in history moves on to Notre Dame and Sam Hartman, Griff, Griffiths didn't look bad at all. And I had gone back and, and actually watched that game. He's comfortable with the system, the slow mesh, you know, don't stop. It is what it is. And if you're comfortable with the system like Griffiths is, I feel like he can produce. So that being said, you know, I don't have the same concerns I do about Burden, uh, you know, with the efficacy of the quarterback play. I feel pretty good about Griffiths. But like you said, Banks is very effective when used, but he didn't start all year. Uh, he's not a yak guy, only two and a half yards after catch, but he did, did average 2.3 yards per route. So like when he was targeted, he was doing it. And when he was targeted, he was targeted deep, mm -hmm. 16 yards, dot. That's as high as you're going to get. You don't get a lot of ADOTs, especially where you got 60 targets. That's downfield. Yes, so sir. it shows that they are very comfortable with him being that other option downfield for them to take shots at, like they did with A.T. Perry um, in that role. So I think he's going to occupy that role. I feel good about it um, as far as the X, like you said, but, Donovan Green two years ago was magnificent. I mean, as a true freshman, he was, you know, a borderline four-star coming out of high school. He made some great catches downfield that led everybody to think it was going to be him, not A.T. Perry, to be the heir apparent to that downfield threat. Obviously, that didn't happen. Um, but I do think he needs to be respected because of the potency of the Wake Forest offense, because of the style that they use throwing downfield passes as often as they do. Um, so while I, I do think that Donovan Green at 110, you know, is certainly pretty low considering what he could be. And since there it isn't an established order yet, I do feel pretty good about Jamal Turner and the fact that, hell, if he really wants to, and this is something I'm not afraid to do with what I perceive to be uh, really good receiver rooms, you can go and grab Turner in the fifth, sixth round. You mean Banks? Right now. Is that where he's looking at? And then you can go down the board in round 20 and go and grab Donovan Green. And then, especially in a big ball, best ball format, you're covered. Mm -hmm. You've got both. You've yeah. got it all for a pretty small investment, which in these best ball leagues, you're probably going to be going 30 rounds. Probably going to have a wide receiver room of around 10 guys. All right, I'll, I'm willing to do you know the double up on that particular room with the one and with the two mm -hmm. for that room at the investment you're talking about. 
I've got that in a few of my builds and, and I'm not afraid of it. Yeah, I've definitely done that as well. Like you said, again, it, it it's not one of these things where you have to, it's not like you're trying to grab both Cephas and Decorian Clark out of UTSA in order to cover yourself. Like, quite frankly, we'll get into this later, but Donovan Green, like he should be going higher than he is right now. Like, again, he, yeah. he is definitely a value that I have. Even if I don't have banks, I still just take the shot on Green later on in drafts. But again, we'll get into that later. Yep. Let's move on to our next tier of wide receivers here. I'll try to go through this a little bit qu- more quickly so that we're not here for forever and a half. Number 25. Sorry, it's my fault. No, Frozen, I guarantee you it's my fault as well. I've, I've been rambling bad today. Uh, number 25, Alex Adams out of Akron. Number 26, Jaleel Farouk out of Oklahoma. Number 27, Dorian Singer out of USC. Number 28, Evan Stewart out of Texas A&M. Number 29, D.T. Sheffield out of Washington State. Number 30, Devin Voison out of South Alabama. Number 31, Justin Lockhart out of San Jose State. Number 32, Will Shepard out of Vanderbilt. Number 33, Caleb Hood out of Georgia Southern. Number 34, Antonio Williams out of Clemson. Number 35, Ryan O'Keefe out of Boston College. And then number 36, Terrell Vaughn out of Utah State. Let's go ahead and jump straight into my two guys right here. I'll be talking about Dorian Singer and Antonio Williams. Two guys very similar here. They're the number one wide receivers in terms of their draft capital for two systems that two offensive systems we expect to be very good this year. I mean, Lincoln Riley, Garrett Riley, both of the Riley brothers producing very good offenses here. We are expecting here. But these guys are both going so much higher than the rest of their respective rooms. And for both of them, I kind of feel that neither one is particularly warranted here. We'll start with Dorian Singer here. So many options for Caleb Williams to play with this year. Lincoln Riley, what he can, tries to spread things out. You got Dorian Singer, Brendan Rice on the outside, Taj Washington, Mario Williams, and you got two awesome freshmen coming in, Zachary Branch, Makai Lemon, and shoot, they got some other guys in there, like Michael Jackson III. Let's look at their ADPs for all these USC wide receivers. Dorian Singer, wide receiver 15 in drafts. We have him ranked as wide receiver 27, but he's going as wide receiver 15 in drafts, end of the fourth round. Brendan Rice, the former Colorado wide receiver and son of Jerry Rice here. Wide receiver 62, almost 10 rounds later in the middle of the 14th round. Mario Williams, a guy that a lot of people used to like, obviously hasn't really taken that next step forward yet. Wide receiver 105 and end of the 19th round. And then Taj Washington, who was good for USC last year in several weeks, just straight up going undrafted or at least round 20 plus for a lot of these. I just don't get what has Singer done to warrant being drafted that much more highly than the rest of these guys. Again, I get it. He was a wide receiver 24 in Arizona last year. He produced well in the Pac-12 last year. He works great as a deep threat option. So even if targets are spread out, he doesn't need a lot of targets in order for him to do a ton of damage and get you the work you need. He could catch three balls and have over 100 yards and a touchdown, and you're happy for the week. But regardless, they have so many good options in a system that shows they like to spread the ball around more than we like to give them credit for. We remember the days of C.D. Lamb. We think of Jordan Addison last year, but even Jordan Addison almost only finishes a top 40 wide receiver last year. He didn't get much higher. So I just don't get it with Dorian Singer. Froton, can you either validate my feelings over here or just shoot me in the gut here and tell me exactly why Singer is doing so great here. 
Well, with Jordan Addison, I will say that he he was banged up a little bit and he missed some time, which certainly affected his his stats. But on a per game basis, like he did, I felt like per game he was pretty good. That being said, like I love Brendan Rice. Oh, I love Brendan Rice. I think he's incredible and deserves his time. He could have that role that we saw of Drake London and Michael Pittman, which is throw the ball to him, uh, you know, on the side real quick, square him up with a, a DB one-on-one and, and watch him just physically outperform them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw that definitely in, in some of his downfield acumen, you know, his, his ability to win balls at the high point. Like he's really good. But like you're saying, that's what Singer does too. Singer is a deep ball threat and he's not really a yak guy. So, you know, with Caleb throwing uh, the ball, he's going to be found in ways that, gosh, if you watch his highlight reel, he's spinning around making catches when he's running wide open down the field because Jaden Delore is under throwing him. And, you know, <laughs> he's not going to have that problem this year, would he? but he will have, like you said, it's not going to be quite the same amount of targets, you have to think, with the, I mean, whole host of receivers that are going to command attention there for USC. But, um, yeah, I think that a common theme was he was going way too early in the first drafts that we saw, you know, in February, March, April. And as the season, you know, the offseason has ticked along, you're seeing, at least from my perspective, Singer going in the fifth, sixth rounds a lot more often now. You're not seeing third round Dorian Singer, mm-hmm. fifth, sixth, seventh rounds now, which is frankly more in line with his value. Yeah, I definitely agree. He started to drop a little bit. Yeah, yeah, so I'm, yeah, so, I'm still not comfortable taking him in the fifth, sixth round when I can get a Brendan Rice yeah. in the 14th round. If I could take a shot on Taj Washington in round 20 plus, like, why would I do that? Um, let's talk about my other guy here. Again, Antonio Williams. Very, like I said, very similar here. A lot of talented options at Clemson in terms of pass catchers. They've done a good job over the last couple of years in their recruiting of getting some different body types in there. I used to make the joke all the time that all the Clemson wide receivers, if you lined them up in front of each other, you wouldn't <laughs> be able to tell one from the other in terms of their body shape because they all had the same skill set. They were all over, a little true. over six foot two, a <laughs> little so over true. 200 pounds. Like that's all that they did. But they now bring in guys like Adam Randall, who's a little bit taller. You got Jake Brinningstool, who's just a big, tall monster. You got Antonio well, Williams, who's a much here. speedier slot option they have diversified their pass catchers which is great but now we run into the opposite problem where there's too many good options here adam randall bo collins brandon specter jake springsell will shepley have naming off guys here that wouldn't normally be a problem if you saw a guy like garrett riley you know target one guy compared to everybody else but he loves to spread the ball around that's part of what makes his offense tick is that you can't key in on one guy Look at his time at SMU and TCU here. Quentin Johnson last year. We all loved him. He finished as a wide receiver 92 last year. 47.3% of his fantasy production came from two games. Other than that, it was spread around to Tay Barber, Darius Davis, Savion Williams, Jared Wiley, their tight end. That's what they did on a case-by-case basis. Go back to SMU. SMU, like Rhett Lashley, like... Sonny Dykes, like top wide receivers in CFF. When Garrett Riley was there, Danny Gray was their top wide receiver with a little over 800 yards. 
versus the 1,100, 1,200 yards we typically saw out of SMU. Go back to 2020. Granted, I usually say throughout 2020 stats, but SMU played 10 games, so there is a little bit of comparison to be made here. None of the guys there, Rushy Rice, all of these guys, none of them were on pace for 1,000 yards that year. It's just what he does. He spreads the ball around a ton. I love the talent of Antonio Williams. I think he'll outperform what he did last year because there's just a better offensive coordinator there now at Clemson. But I just doubt it's going to be enough to make him CFF relevant, let alone make him a top 36 option here. And that all this is all assuming that he moves outside, which is typically where if you are going to have somebody perform in Garrett Riley's system, that's where they perform. So yeah, maybe that. Williams moves outside. If not, it's even bleaker because Tay Barber was a slot for TCU last year, and he barely broke 600 yards last year. I think Williams is great, but much like Johnson, as a week-to-week guy, I'm completely out here. Yeah, I did a lot of fading Quentin Johnson because, man, like you said, he had a couple big games. And after those big games in his prop markets, they had some astronomical lines on him. Like He was in the 90s uh, for a few weeks, and they just never adjusted. So I actually, I faded him quite often on the receiving yards front. And what people didn't realize either is Kendra Miller did a lot of damage in that TCU offense. They ran the ball way more than you think they did. Yep last season and you know that's something where obviously Clemson needs to get better on offense because look we talked about the Clemson defense Clemson defense really good last year you know it it was fine it was it was it was pretty solid but you got to remember the 2021 Clemson offense right we'll go 2021 83rd in the country Mm -hmm. brutal brutal last year it was better it was only 39th overall. That isn't the same Clemson where 2020, fourth overall, 2019, 10th, 2018, third overall. Yep. We're talking about elite, elite units, you know, and Will Shipley's there, Phil Maffa in the background. You have a first year starting quarterback, Cade Klubnik, got thrown in the fire last year. He looked pretty good compared to DJU. But how great is he going to be? Is he going to be protected to an extent by Garrett Riley, where he just wants to make sure that he's winning games? He doesn't have, he isn't beholden to anybody that has been there before. And I like Bo Collins, who caught passes, touchdowns in five of his first six games before getting banged up. Mm-hmm. And then really his play fell off towards the second half. I think he coming back healthy with Adam Randall healthy, you know, a couple of real outside threats. You might not see Antonio Williams running that many routes from the outside. There's a lot of conjecture in that room. Uh, while I, obviously Clemson is going to be better, they are not going to be worse than they were last year offensively. It's just not going to happen. Uh, there is still questions as to how effective their top guys are going to be. And because of that, I look at Antonio Williams as a much more effective C2C asset than a CFF asset. I wholeheartedly agree. All right, Froton, let's talk about your two guys here in the 25 to 36 range here. Who do you want to talk about? Terrell Ricky Vaughn, the wild thing himself, uh, over there at Utah State. Now, obviously, Blake Anderson is in town. He took over for the departed Gary Anderson, and everybody was expecting, hey, all right, Arkansas State Part 2. Here we go. We're going to be swinging the ball around. We're going to have a, a... high-octane, high-flying, watch-out type of offense. And that simply did not materialize, as we know. 22 points 
per game out of Utah's passing offense. Only 195 yards through the air. I mean, a restructuring of the highest order. And that was year two of Anderson. I was going to say, like, to be fair, year one gave us a lot of false hope. What year one was action packed. There's no doubt about that. But look, you know, Logan Bonner didn't play much, didn't do much. We saw, obviously, Cooper Lagasse was okay, but 11 to 10 ratio out of the the Lego man. I, I, I don't, I don't have a lot of, you know, good feelings about that just simply being, oh yeah, we're back to 35 points a game and 300 yards passing. You're going to have to have a serious, serious boost off of what they did last year. And that gets us to Mr. Vaughn, five foot seven, Terrell Vaughn. I mean, we're not talking about somebody who is going to be matchup proof. He's a slot receiver, slot only 94% of his reps out of the slot last year. And, you know, in 81 receptions, you know, 600, excuse me, 81 targets, only 615 yards. You know, he wasn't somebody who was particularly explosive. Um, 1.6 yards per route. He's just kind of a guy to me. You know, I, I don't look at him and see, uh, you know, the explosiveness of that 2021 unit of Utah State. And by pigeonholing him and saying, yeah, this guy is being drafted in the top 25, 26, as it is here, as, excuse me, um, 36, excuse me, 36, 36. But as a wide receiver three, he's going to be an every week starter. I think you're asking a lot. And also you got to, you got to factor in schedule. Okay. This schedule ain't great. Despite the fact that they're playing in the mountain West, which unbeknownst to people was actually a more defense oriented conference than it had been in years past. Surprisingly. They start off at Iowa. Congratulations. At Air Force week three. Even their off conference, you get James Madison, who was one of the better defenses in the G5 last year. And then they draw Fresno at San Jose State. That's no picnic. Uh, At San Diego State, again, nobody wants to play at San Diego State. And then in conference championship week for us, you know, first week of the playoffs, if you're going with a standard two-week format, otherwise it's week two. And they got to deal with Boise State. So I don't particularly like their schedule either when it comes to dealing with their defenses. It's going to affect his startability. And again, 5-7, 22 points a game last year. How much better are they going to be? I can't answer that question. I don't have a lot of Terrell Vaughn, and I'm not going to because I do feel like the juice may not be worth the squeeze at the number 36 overall player. I got to defend here. I'm I'm one I'm one of the kings of the Terrell Vaughn hype train. I was on him last oh, year. Oh, Jerry, that's a mistake. Nope, not going to be a mistake. <laughs> you kept pointing out his size. All right, you know who else was five seven five eight, very small. A man named Jared Stearns. No, Devin Tompkins. Remember Devin, Devin Tompkins? Tompkins? Devin Tompkins was electric. Yeah, but guess what? The year before, he only had ten yards per catch. So you're probably going to the same thing, sitting there thinking like, oh. Devin Tompkins is an explosive guy. He only had 10 yards per catch in 2020 and only a touchdown. Like, you expect him to make a huge jump? Yeah, he went from 20 catches to 102, 200 yards to 1,700, and went from 10 yards per catch to almost 17 yards per catch the next year. Blake Anderson, yes, obviously last year was a huge hiccup. Not great overall for Utah State, and I'll get to that here in a second. But, again, number, where is it? I just had it up here. Yeah, number three 
Again, I keep referencing this stat, but over the last five years, he is the number three coach in America when it comes to getting his wide receiver ones fantasy points per game. You saw it with Devin Tompkins, Omar Bayless, Jonathan Adams Jr. When he finds his guy, he feeds the living crap out of them, especially if they're a veteran presence. Terrell Vaughn is the only starter from Utah State coming back from last year. Cooper Lagos entering his second year. We're talking about how Lagos didn't look great last year. Yes, I agree. But I do not think the plan was to have Lagos start at all last year. I really think they thought they were going to get more out of Logan Bonner last year, but then his injury just kept cropping up, and therefore they couldn't run what they wanted to run over there with a guy in Lagasse. They weren't quite ready to have him be the starter, so I think they did kind of shut things down a little bit. They ran the ball a crap ton more last year than we've ever seen Blake Anderson do. I do think, now, do I think it'll get back to 35 points? No, that's about a two-touchdown jump right there. But could we get to 30 points per game? I think so. And with Terrell Vaughn being that veteran presence there, I feel very comfortable investing in a system that has done extremely well for us over the past several years, especially if I can get him as my wide receiver three or even four in some cases. I'm going to fight you. All right. Now, I I do want to get to the tendencies of Blake Anderson, which, yes, as you mentioned, Receivers do well. However, it's outside receivers that are most prioritized. Last year, 53% of their throws went to the outside receivers. That is the third most in the country in terms of outside uh, usage rate. 30% of the uh, targets went to the slot. That is 119th out of 131 teams. So where does what eats at Utah State? The outside receivers, the guys you mentioned, Omar Bayless, Corey Rucker, outside receivers. We saw Jeff Foreman do pretty well, but look, this is an offense last year. Not explosive at all. 125th in module explosiveness. 120th in explosive play rate. This is not the offense that we got at Arkansas State. And as mentioned, it's a tougher schedule than Arkansas State ever played. So the fact that he's 5'7", playing out of the slot, fact that Blake Anderson has always done the outside receiver. Not always. Not always. Devin Tompkins, 717 snaps out of the slot. Well, that didn't happen last year, and Terrell Vaughn was there. Again, I said said, 53% this already. They they had to change their game plan last year. I think they were planning on Logan Bonner being their starter. You give give Lagos another season of snaps or another offseason of snaps, as the clear number one guy, I think you're going to see a much better performance out of him this year. Well, you better, because he had the highest interception rate in the entire country last year. Numero uno interception rate for Utah State. That has to change. That being oh, said, 100% we'll move on. I, I like, I yes. like the spirited Terrell Vaughn debate. And thank you. Sorry. I'll close the window since the... the the uh, ice cream man was driving by. That's Ooh. the sound you heard. On next, Evan, Evan Stewart. Stewart. Evan Stewart. It's, uh, here we are. You know, Luther Burden, Evan Stewart, you know, two, two of the guys that here I'm looking at. Now, uh, full disclosure, I have Evan Stewart in, in some best ball shares. I like Evan Stewart. I do. But I do think that there's, you know, some, some concern where we have a new system coming in. We have Bobby Petrino. You know, hopefully Evan Stewart won't be taking any motorcycle rides on the back of Bobby Vitrino's motorcycle like that poor co-ed did at Arkansas. Ended up with some road rash. Uh, But we do want to see him getting 
receptions. Now, he was, towards the second half of the season, after he got comfortable, I mean, they were pounding Evan Stewart Mm -hmm. with targets. Had at least 11 targets in four of the last six games, and he got banged up in week 12. He missed the game. So he, you know, his last two games, he wasn't kind of at full speed, gutted it out. But before then, he had four straight games where he was just getting pounded with targets. Now, the concern is, if you see Bobby Petrino's history he does like to spread it around a little bit too a la garrett riley that is my concern for him because moose muhammad on a per play basis was pretty damn good Mm -hmm. last season pretty good i mean i i could certainly see him warranting more targets um you know and that's that's definitely substantiated i'd like to see more contested catches out of stewart but he was a true freshman he got 99 targets at texas a&m and the sec west as a true freshman, where Texas A&M was down last year. I, I just don't see them being as bad as they were last season. Maybe, maybe I know I, I could be wrong. You know, I, I might have my, my faith could be misplaced. There's a reason why Jimbo Fisher, you know, was, was getting a hard time. It's because they were 71st in S&P plus offense, 18th in S&P plus defense. Okay. Their D was no problem. They had the greatest freaking signing class in history mm-hmm. in 2021. This is year three of that. All right. I think they come along. I like Connor Wegman. I, from what I saw from him in his break-in year, you know, where he was kind of pressing the service behind an ineffective Max Johnson, second year in a row for Max Johnson, he got cucked. Um, I'm in. I'm in for, for Connor Wegman. Part of my liking Evan Stewart comes with the maturation of his QB. And you've definitely heard that before with Cooper Logas and Brady Cook and my concerns, but yes, sir. I think he's legit. I think Connor Wegman, you're going to see this year, really have take a step. I think Evan Stewart comes along with that. Uh, last year, even in spite of the fact that they just weren't a efficient offense, consistently moving the ball, they did have a 14% explosive play rate, which was top 25 in the country. All right. They can make plays. Evan Stewart from, you know, watching, going through him, the eyeball test, I love it. I think he's, I think he can play. I, I believe in him. So I do, um, you know, where we're talking about getting him at, I love him in the eighth, ninth rounds, which is, you know, value. Early on in the, in the offseason, he was going in that fifth, sixth round range, which is a little pricey, a mm-hmm. little too much, despite the fact that he's got an immense talent. If he can get him in that eighth round, ninth round range, I think that's a lot better. And that puts him in to where we're at here. So I am bullish on uh, on Evan Stewart, even though, you know, if you look at the trajectory of Bobby Petrino's offenses, Tennessee has sped the ball around. I like Moose Muhammad as well. I just think Evan Stewart is a real talent who in year two, you know, after a breakout year one, getting 99 targets as a true freshman, I think he does more. I think he matures even more. And that Connor Wegman is going to help him take a step. So I'm comfortable with him in this range, despite the fact that uh, I can understand if there's a counterpoint. Yeah, he's currently going in the middle of the eighth round. So right there where you like him. And I agree with you, Froton. He was going way too high at the beginning. Comes down a little bit. A lot more fun to take a shot on him later on here. Another point you didn't really bring up is that, like, Texas A&M is not going to be, at least in my opinion, going to be able to rely on the run game as much as they have the last couple of years. I mean, obviously, we all are excited about Ruben Owens as a true freshman, but like Le'Veon Moss, Amari Daniels, these are not guys like Devin A. Chain and the guys they've had before 
that we can truly rely Isaiah Spiller like these aren't guys that they can rely on in the run game in my opinion as much as they have in the past so I think they are going to be forced to pass just a little bit more in order to kind of lighten up the box for those guys right there and it definitely helps when we've been kind of almost tunnel visioned to just Evan Stewart and Moose Muhammad last year towards the end of the year. Cause we had both Moose Muhammad and Stewart have double digit target games towards the end of the year. Consistently. It was the reason why I told people near the end of the year, like, Hey, grab these guys. Cause they're clearly the only two options as far as Connor Wiegman is concerned. Sure. Hopefully that continues here and they can make a great, great pickup here as your third wide receiver option. Alrighty, let's go ahead and move on to our next segment here. We'll go through these relatively quickly, um, but we'll, I'll just kind of put up my, our guys here that are going too high, and I'll just kind of let us go through real quick uh, our reasons for this. So my three guys that I think are going too high in drafts currently, I got three different guys here at three different tiers. This should help you out a little bit. Zachary Franklin out of Ole Miss, Squirrel White out of Tennessee, and Elijah Badger out of Arizona State. Just three guys I think are going a little bit too high right now. Start with Zachary Franklin. Last year, Malik Heath finishes the wide receiver 85 last year, 52, uh, 834 yards, and four touchdowns in the regular season. Just not a great finish for a fantasy wide receiver there. He's battling between Jonathan Mingo and some other guys for targets. Same way Zachary Franklin's going to be battling between Watkins, Trey Harris, Prescorn and Trigg for targets. But some of you might be saying like, oh, that, that uh, stat line from last year, he only had four touchdowns. Like, give him a few more touchdowns. I'm sure he finishes way better. All right, let's give him like three more touchdowns. So I think seven touchdowns on the year. Pretty reasonable guess right there. He would have finished as a wide receiver 52. And that's the best that we've really seen out of a Charlie Weiss wide receiver one in some time. His history with wide receiver ones just isn't great. 2018, 65, 873, and five touchdowns. 2019, 61, 771, and five touchdowns. 2021, 41, 715 yards, and two touchdowns. Like, yeah, those are fine. Like, that gives you, sorry, probably some good breakout games, gives you some, like, high floor consistency of maybe 10 points a week out of your guy, but like not a guy that you want to be starting on a weekly basis right there. Zakari Franklin currently going up towards the, um, like still going in like the round six to eight range. I'm not buying that whatsoever. Squirrel white love the potential of squirrel white. He's the one guy that Joe Milton can't out throw on Tennessee's roster. However, are we sure there's value in him where he's currently going? Again, wide receiver 10, end of the third round typically. Jalen Hyatt, we all love him last year. Again, wide receiver 2 on the year, but he was wide receiver 39 through week 6. Then he had an excellent 5-week stretch there where basically Tennessee realized they had a cheat goat in him before teams started to kind of figure him out a little bit and he came back down to earth towards the end of the season. His performances in week 10, 12, 13, especially in championship weeks, not what you wanted to see out of him right there. And his high performances from earlier in the season kept him from dropping even lower than where he was. A lot of Hyatt's value came from the fact that Tennessee really only had him as a healthy option consistently week in and week out. I mean, Cedric Tillman going down early in the year definitely helped him break out right there. So I'm not even sure. Like We saw what we typically would get out of Josh Heupel's number one wide receiver there. I don't think Squirrel White's going to do that. And then there's also... like. Again, Hyatt was like the one true speed demon that Tennessee had last year. Versus this year, they bring in Dante Thornton from Oregon, who also kind of has that speed skill set. So 
So I think Tennessee is going to have two really good options there in the deep threat. Brew McCoy will be that guy that you chuck it to him 15 yards down the field, no further. And I still think Ramel Keaton's kind of an underrated guy. He'll probably get some deep targets there. I just don't know if White's going to monopolize the production kind of like Hyatt did for Tennessee last year. So I think he's going a little bit too high. And then last but not least, this one's a little bit lower down. But Elijah Badger finished as a wide receiver 35 last season. Consistently not a great week winner. He had zero top 24 finishes last season. And that was with him being the clear number one guy. There was no real competition at wide receiver for targets. But now Arizona State brings in a ton of guys. Xavier Guillory, who's looked good this season, this offseason. Loquan Stovall out of Colorado State. Jordan Tyson out of Colorado. Troy Amiri, hopefully, if he's healthy. And then in addition to that, Kenny Dillingham's just another one of these coaches that likes to spread things around. Even when you had a guy like Troy Franklin, who was the number one guy at Oregon last year, he wasn't like anything that blew anybody away. He only reached a little over 800 or just under 900 yards last year. Nine touchdowns, finishes wide receiver 38. That's the best season we've seen out of a Kelly Dillingham wide receiver one option. His wide receivers at Florida State and Auburn are absolutely abysmal. I don't have time to read out their stat lines, but go look at the wide receivers from his time at Florida State and Auburn. It's not not pretty at all. I just don't think Elijah Badger, you can really project a guy that is going to be a safe option for you in CFF this year. I think they go receiver by committee over there. Roton, any quick thoughts on those guys? If not, you can just hop right into your three guys that you think are going too high. I feel like I've been a little long-winded already, so I should probably just, just skip out. I will say on, on my side, I meant to say Anias Smith, not Arian Smith, Georgia. Okay, I was <laughs> wondering, you put Arian Smith, I'm like, is Arian Smith going high in your drafts? Like, he's going, like, round oh, 30 if he's going. He's like, going, like, wide receiver 200. Yeah, that's just simply too high for Arian Smith. Okay, well, Anias Smith makes Anias. way more sense. Okay, I, I texted that's you. I was like, bad, I'm like, boys. okay, phew. Oh, I was about to say, but, uh, like... I, I'm sorry about that. It's I mean, all good. Because it's all he good. was because Smith, since we'll start with him, is going off as wide receiver 62, according to the ADP numbers that you sent over to me. I could not believe that. Okay, I just I just can't. Like we talked about here, Texas A&M slot receiver. You got Evan Stewart and Moose Muhammad, who two very effective players on on a per down basis, and uh, Anias Smith is actually getting drafted. He's not getting carries anymore. Like that whole, you know, dual threat running back wide receiver skill set, you know, that, that was so appealing. There's a million running backs they have down there, back there now. They have LJ Johnson had to transfer out. You know, you have Le'Veon Moss. You have Ruben Owens coming in. You have Amari King. There's so many guys that it's just, it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I just can't believe why you'd be taking a, a slot receiver when he's the number three option in that offense out of the slot have two really good solid receivers that are ahead of him in the pecking order. Even at wide receiver 62, that is simply malpractice and you can't be doing that. That being said, uh, Will Shepard, Vanderbilt. Fun fact, out of all receivers of the past two years who've received at least 90 targets, Will Shepard of all power five receivers has the lowest catch rate of all receivers with at least 90 targets over the last two years in the power five. The reason why is he plays for Vanderbilt, all right? <laughs> and Vanderbilt, I mean, A.J. Swan, you know, God bless A.J. Swan, but, you know, you're playing a tough schedule here. 
And a lot of thing, a lot of what it has to do with with this figure recommendation. What was his exact ADP or DCR for Shepard? He was in our list, right? He was top top thirty. I believe so. I, I believe he's in. I, I believe he's like wide receiver thirty-three. Yeah, wide receiver thirty-three. So he's an every week wide receiver three, and you can have to contend with again 32, the startability factor thirty-two with these teams, the bad teams, especially in the SEC. Okay, and the, what really screws Vanderbilt is their best matchup is Hawaii, and it's week zero, so you don't even get the Hawaii game out of them. And you then have to deal with two different buys in addition to Georgia, in addition to Auburn, you know, in addition to Florida, Missouri. Let's not forget about Missouri's pass defense. All four DBs back, and they were a top flight, top flight unit in terms of a secondary last year. Good luck passing on Missouri this season. And throw in there, you know, uh, Kentucky as always. So when you're talking about the limited startability Right out of the gate, you got six games that I I don't feel comfortable starting him. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just don't want any part of him seeing the field in those. I don't care how many targets he gets when you got a team that's scoring under twenty five points per game. That's a hard proposition to ask for when you're drafting him as your wide receiver three. I know he got one hundred and twenty five targets last year, one hundred and twenty, but he caught half of them. He caught sixty. When when those are going to come? Good luck. You know, mm-hmm. figure it out. That's a tough proposition. I don't ever, I don't feel comfortable taking him in as a wide receiver three, and you shouldn't either. Dante Cephas for Penn State. We have a very heavy run-oriented offense. I know Mike Yurcich is the offensive coordinator, and he comes off the Mike Gundy tree, and he's a man, and he's forty. But um, you got to remember here. You know, this is Penn State. Drew Alar, new quarterback. Do I like him? Yeah. Is he better than? You know, uh, the now departed uh, XQB, uh, whose name escapes Sean me Clifford. At the moment. Sean Clifford, the big red dog, Sean Clifford. Yeah. Give me Drew Aller over over Clifford. Um, that being said, this is not an offense that really prioritized the pass very much at all last year. And the reason why is very simple. It's not something that anybody has to really look too far. You got Nick Singleton and Katron Allen yep. there in your backfield. You got a couple of monsters and they rode them like they should they were 11th in rushing explosiveness you know because of that and while they were an efficient offense you know it wasn't like they they were a bad passing team they weren't an explosive passing team and they weren't throwing that often because why would you go and throw any more than you need to they're right at the national average in terms of standard downs are running 58 percent of the time but why would you go and bother, you know, having to throw the ball or put the ball in, you know, put it in harm's way when you can have an awesome offensive line with Fashanu back, who will be the number one left, number one tackle taken in the NFL draft next year. Mm-hmm. And you can wear teams down with an, with an exceptional defense. You got Chop Robinson on the edge. You got Kalen King uh, on the outside for a, a cornerback. I see them slowing it down. And I see them leaning on teams when they when they have that advantage. And they're going to have the line advantage over quite a few teams. They mauled just about everybody on their schedule that wasn't Michigan and Ohio State. Yep. Mauled them. Like, killing them in terms of – and besides Purdue. Purdue was close. Every other game they, they had that they won was at least 
at least a 97% win expectancy. So they're going to be able to handle the lesser teams on their schedule where they're not going to have to air it out. I just think that with Cephas coming over from the Mac, we don't, he isn't, you know, is he going to be the numero uno top dog? Potentially. We got Keandre Lambert Smith there too, who was pretty good. Um, and you're coming into a Big Ten elite top 10 room. I just think there's a, a lot of projection involved there in an offense that is not going to put up huge passing numbers this year. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Again, it really does not help that he's coming in during the fall rather than getting that early spring action as well. So I agree with you. Again, he's, he, he's dropped. He's, he started off pretty high early in the offseason. He's definitely dropped down a little bit lower, but still wide receiver 45. You're taking a shot at him as your, four, your first off-the-bench guy. I don't know about that. Tough call. Yeah. So let's move on to some wide receivers that are going too low in our opinion. So again, I'll try to run through this really quickly. First guy I have here, Ricky White. Go-Go offense is coming to town at UNLV. It's produced some great wide receiver numbers in the past. Um, looking at here, again, you got um, Mr. Azard from back at Howard. I uh, fortunately couldn't find any William and Mary stats as well, so forgive me there. But again, 40 <laughs> catches. 1,064 yards, 12 touchdowns would have been absolutely fantastic for you if they're able to get that going over there. Terrible defense from UNLV. They're going to be forced to score. And the good news is they're going up against a lot of defenses that are not great. According to our guide, UNLV has the third easiest schedule in the country going into this year. I mean, really outside of their Michigan game, I'd be okay with starting Ricky White in pretty much every single one of their matchups. So I feel very comfortable there. Second guy I have here, Miles Price. Remember this guy? Drafted him in the second round last year, only for him to absolutely crap the bed last year. Um, again, to me, he might be the ultimate post-hype sleeper going into this year. Again, we drafted him, wide receiver 8 last year. Finishes the wide receiver 231. Started off kind of decent, but like never could really catch fire like you would expect that Zach Kelly offensive slot to do so. But really, it was just a ton of injuries limiting him the whole year. That entire wide receiver room was just completely snake-bitten last year. Like It was never anything that could really knock them out of the games, but that you could tell none of them were living up to their potential because of it. Dre McRae comes in this offseason, got off to a hot start in spring, but the hype has kind of quieted down since then. Some beat reporters are saying that he's still with the second team. To me, that still puts Miles Price in that coveted slot position there. If he can stay healthy, he's going so late in your drafts. Take the shot on him living up to his potential this late this year. And the third guy I got here, Mr. Javon Harvey, wide receiver out of Old Dominion. Allie Jennings finished as a wide receiver 27 last year, but that was before. That was after he suffered an ankle injury in week 10. He was wide receiver 10, or excuse me, wide receiver 5 overall going into that week before he got injured and basically sat out the rest of the year. So Old Dominion is no stranger to the top wide receiver getting targets. Jennings is gone. Harvey wins the Heart of the Lion award out of spring camp, which goes to the best player on the team for the spring. And it helps that uh, their new offensive coordinator hire and Kevin Decker comes from Fordham, which last year produced three 1,000-yard wide receivers. Now, granted, again, they play more games than the FBS and everything like that, so like kind of bring it back a little bit. Still, no stranger to producing a ton of receiving options there. To me, the real big question with Harvey is, can ODU's new offense really get going in year one, and really just how bad will they be 
Their offense was atrocious last year. It was one of the fastest-paced offenses in the country last year, but it was also one of the worst in terms of three and out. So they would go out there, run three pay- plays really quickly, punt the ball. It was awful. But to be fair, they did that, and Jennings was still a top-five wide receiver throughout most of the year. So maybe that doesn't impact Harvey at all. I like Harvey. He's going way too late in a lot of these drafts. So definitely needs to be moving up a lot of your boards. I think he's still going like the wide receiver 50-ish range. Absolutely not. Way too good of a value down there. So Froton, you want to go ahead and get into your guys unless you got a quick comment on any of my guys. Yeah, Javon Harvey has been rocketing up draft boards since, you know, the offseason process started. Absolutely. One, One of the top receivers in terms of gained ADP. I, I don't know. I haven't looked at these numbers, but my anecdotal evidence says Javon Harvey is coming. And as you mentioned with Kevin Decker, 50 points a game for mm-hmm. Fordham last year. 5-0, 50 points a game. Uh, you have to pay attention with that sort of thing. And especially with ODU last year, they were basically the Indiana of the G5. Ripping off plays. They want to rip off a lot of plays. Not successfully, but they want to go fast. So uh, that's, you know, initiative counts for something with Ricky Ronnie over there running the offense as the head coach and now Kevin Decker involved. Um, On to my guys, my boy from Akron, Daniel George, boy George, as I like to call him, 6'2", 2'10", manning the outside starting spot opposite of Mr. Adams and now with Shockey Jock Lewis, the Shock Jock himself, moving on, you had three receivers for that Akron Joe Moorhead offense, DJ Irons is back, who received 90 or more targets. For his part, George, 108 last year. And not just 108, man, he did it in style. After the first three weeks where he kind of you know got his feet wet, he got double-digit targets in six of the next nine games. And again, that was year one of Joe Moorhead, who – is frankly beyond reproach in terms of an offensive mind. And he's out there humming off some plays too, ripping off plays. DJ Irons is back for his second year, as is Adams. I see those guys getting another high, high target volume. I was taking him in. I could get him whenever I wanted earlier in the year. 22nd, 23rd, 24th round is where I was waiting. I was like, all right, when do I feel like taking Daniel George? Well, mm-hmm. that ship has sailed. I'm seeing him go in the 13th, 14th round now, literally 10 rounds more than what he was going at the beginning of the offseason best ball oh, yeah. process. And the reason why is just, you know, it's obvious. Akron is basically the what Kent State was the past three years. I think that's what we're going to see out of Akron over the next two with Moorhead looking to rebuild, just put his stamp on it and just run wild because he doesn't care. He's in the Mac now. He can go and do whatever he wants. He's going to have yep. fun, and fun means points. Number two, Keon Coleman, uh, formerly of Michigan State. I love Keon Coleman. In terms of you go and you watch him as a pro prospect, I think he's, he's exceptional. I think you're looking at a pro receiver here. Mercifully did the right thing by leaving Michigan State uh, after the spring. Peyton Thorne went and left. Uh, He left. Obviously, Jeremy Bernard is over there at Washington. Basically, the best players on that Michigan State offense from their passing game, they're all gone. Mm -hmm. They all hit the road. Like, good luck, Mel Tucker, this year, scoring points. But the point is, Keon Coleman went over to Florida State. And I'm going to tell you right now, you hear me now and you hear me good. 
He's better than Jimmy Wilson. He's going to outperform Jimmy Wilson this year. Anybody taking him over Keon Coleman is making a mistake. I'm seeing Coleman going in like the 11th, 12th round all day. I'm taking him all day. Plenty of Keon Coleman shares over there at Florida State. And then lastly, I won't dwell on the point too much, but Donovan Green, which we had already talked about before. Look, he was a starter last year. He was in that Z position where he didn't get the same amount of downfield targets as A.T. Perry did, you know, but, you know, Jamal Banks looking to take over that role. But, hey, it wasn't like, you know, Donovan Green wasn't getting looked at. Uh, He averaged 16 yards per target as well. You know, he's all the way downfield. Excuse me, ADOT, 15.8, ADOT. That's That's a factor. He is going to be running deep routes. Also, really good in the contested catch scenarios when he doesn't when he isn't downfield and he's working the underneath. Twelve of his eight, twelve of eighteen contested catch opportunities, sixty-seven percent. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So, he's a guy we've seen make catches. I've you know we've seen his highlights where he can track the ball extremely well downfield. He can make those plays where they are contested situations. You got to respect it. And like we said, we are. Am I positive? It's Jamal Banks. I think it's Jamal Banks, but hey, he was a part-time player last mm-hmm. year. There's no guarantee if Donovan Green makes a few plays downfield that he won't get that option. That those looks at 110 overall is it, 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 110 for a wide receiver, not overall wide receiver 110. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I definitely agree. Fortunately, we got to keep moving on here. Next. Up here, this is more of an interview question here, Photon, but if you could have the crystal ball to see the outcome of one wide receiver room, which one would it be? I'll go ahead and throw mine out here because we already touched on this wide receiver room a little bit. I put down Texas Tech. Is Zach Kittley's offense? I want to know who that slot guy is going to be. I want to know if one of the outside guys steps up and has a Mitchell Tinsley-like season over there. I want to know what's going on there. I'm hoping they see a big jump this next upcoming year. And some of these receivers stay healthy. Froton, which wide receiver room did you want to see the outcome for? The Washington State Cougars. um, With Eric Morris, you know, their offensive coordinator from Incarnate Word coming over last year. With his version of the air raid, he has since moved on to North Texas, where they should be slinging there around. I'd like to see how that shakes out as well. I think you believe the same thing. Mm-hmm. But um, now we have the Zach Kitley tree. So you have Zach Kitley at Texas Tech. I have Ben Arbuckle, who is, was the OC at Western Kentucky last year, is a protege of Zach Kitley, now taking his talents over to Wazoo where their identity is throwing the ball around. They want to do it, and they weren't doing it as well as they wanted to last year, just plain and simple. 254 yards uh, passing per game, 26 points per game. That isn't the Washington State we know. They want Mm -hmm. to be at 300 yards per game. I think you see Cam Ward after he had a year of, uh, you know, acculturation at the Power 5 level. Now that he's settled in, I think he'll look a little better. And they bring in a couple pretty good wideouts, too. I like Kyle Williams. I wish, as we talked about with Brennan Marion at UNLV, damn, I wish Kyle Williams was still at UNLV. I mm-hmm. wish he could profit from that system, which he did uh, You know, as a freshman. He was a little banged up last year, but I would love to see. You know, What's his role going to be? Josh Kelly, a guy I loved at Fresno State last year. Like, was really hoping that he could emerge on the outside, which – you know, Nico Remigio ended up having a, a pretty 
important uh, impact out there instead. But I really like Josh Kelly. He got hurt last season, you know, so no fault of his own. Couldn't do much with uh, with Fresno State. And then obviously, D.T. Sheffield, Juco transfer, had an ex- excellent spring. We saw him break a couple big plays uh, and has a ton of buzz around him. But, you know, is he going to be the guy? Is he going to be the top dog? You know, because this is an offense that has supported two receivers. Mm-hmm. Not just two good receivers, two elite receivers out of that Western Kentucky, Zach Kitley, Texas Tech offense. So uh, I'm very curious to see how that room shakes out. And I do think it's worth taking, keeping in mind Kyle Williams and Josh Kelly after DTU Sheffield is taken right around that sixth, seventh round range. You can get the other two at pretty much, you know, late 20s in terms of rounds. Not a big fan of Lincoln Victor? Lincoln Victor, uh, potentially, but I, I, I like, I like Williams and, and Kelly more as overall talents. I know that Victor will probably get his shot in the receiver lineup, but that's part of it. Maybe it will be Lincoln Victor coming over from, you know, Hawaii transfer. It's, it's an unsettled room and with a new regime in town, you never know. Everything's up for grabs. You never know. All righty, real quick. I'm going to run through some, uh, Wide receivers, not quarterbacks, ignore the graphic. Uh, some wide receivers that have risen throughout the offseason. Talk about Javon Harvey. He's come up to wide receiver 58 after going pretty much for free earlier in the offseason. Elijah Spencer, wide receiver out of Minnesota, coming over from Charlotte. He's started to see a rise. He's jumped up about 40 wide receiver spots here. Smoke Harris out of Louisiana Tech. He's jumped up from about the wide receiver 140 to wide receiver 92. So still pretty low, but there is a, a considerable rise there. Jim Ray DK, wide receiver out of Wisconsin, rising from wide receiver 111 to now wide receiver 63. And then the biggest riser in the entire offseason, jumping up about 50 spots here, Mr. Trayvon Rudolph, wide receiver out of Northern Illinois, jumping up to wide receiver 55. I imagine pretty much all five of these guys will probably continue to see a rise of some kind as we continue on here into August. Maybe Smoke Harris is the only one I could see kind of leveling yeah. out there as people have fallen in love with Cyrus Allen a bit over there. But Proton, quick thoughts on these five guys. Any of them that you don't think are really warranted with their rise? I wouldn't go anywhere near Elijah Spencer. What's the point? Okay. I think people, what's happening with him is they're looking just at the stats and saying, wow. This guy was really good last year, and he was. You know, in terms of, like, as a deep threat, he was one of the top three threats in the country last year. The problem is, that was in Charlotte. He is now in Minnesota. You have have Chris Ottman-Bell coming back. You have uh, uh, Span Ford, who got 61 targets as a tight end last year. Uh, That was with Tanner Morgan. Now you have Ethan Kaliak-Manis, the Greek. The Greek god himself. Um, coming in, and it's his first year. Yeah, he, he started the last five years because Morgan was banged up the last five games. But uh, you know, kind of a new, uh, new quarterback, more of a dual threat than they've had there in years past. I think you could see him using his legs a little more than he had in the past. And breaking in a new QB, I, I think you're asking a lot of Elijah Spencer to be a productive college fantasy football wide receiver. When you're, the people are looking at what he did last year for Charlotte, not what he's going to do this year for Minnesota, one of the least pass-oriented teams in the Power Five. Well, 
I guess I'll I'll play devil's advocate here with Elijah Spencer. One, the buzz out of the beat reporters and camp have been that Spencer is the standout at receiver. They have been very impressed with him in translation from Charlotte to Minnesota so far. They are expected under their new OC to be throwing the ball a bit more. Now, whether you believe that or not, we'll see. But I do actually tend to believe it just a little bit because they have also been very vocal about the fact they don't want to do Mohammed Ibrahim again. They don't want to run the ball as much as they have in the past because of the amount of injuries they've had at the position in recent years. So they're trying to beef up their wide receiver room. We saw them bring in other guys this offseason as well. CAB does return, but the word is that he is still kind of feeling that injury from last year. He still hasn't back 100%. So it, to me, if you are going to invest in a Minnesota wide receiver, which there's a you can determine your own value of what that is on your own. But if you're going to invest in Minnesota wide receiver, I would go after Elijah Spencer. Again, the buzz is there. You're getting him at wide receiver 77 right now in drafts. You're, that's putting him as like what? Your, um, good Lord, that's probably your sixth, seventh wide receiver on your on your team. If he doesn't work out, that's an easy cut in two or three weeks. If you don't, If he doesn't catch fire, I'm kind of okay with his rise. Trayvon Rudolph is... I feel like if people remembered that he existed, oh, he'd yeah. be going higher than 55 Ooh, like right now. Cause like, yeah, I like Rudolph. He got, he got injured right before the season last year, no stats and everything like that. He put up a 300 yard game in the Mac as a true freshman. Like that is somebody that Northern Illinois without any other real pass catchers to throw to. I think he's in for a very, very good year this year. So I like that rise right there. All right. Last but not least is what we finished each one of these crash courses off with. People want to know, Froton, they want to know, who's the sleepers? Who can I get in the very last round of my drafts as somebody who could potentially be a league winner for me? So we're going to do that with the wide receivers today. I will admit, the wide receivers, I think I had the hardest problem amongst all the positions in terms of finding that kind of value that late again it is a high very position but there's just not a ton of options that late but i'll go ahead and start with my guys here i will i say guys because i kind of cheated here i'm more just kind of highlighting a receiver room that you can take some shots on here and that is north texas situation froton you kind of alleviated to it or referred to it earlier with eric morris going down to north texas assuming that eric morris isn't a giant fraud and which th- that is a potential case because, you know, G.J. Kenny did better with Incarnate Word the year after Eric Morris did and the offense at mm-hmm. Washington State wasn't great last year. Um, but even so, under, under Morris, Washington State had a neutral game pass script at 73%. That was the highest in the country, and it is about 30% more than what North Texas ran last year. This is going to be a very, very different North Texas team we are looking at here. A team that typically likes to run the ball and makes explosive pass. They're going to be passing heavily in the next in this next upcoming year. Grimes, or, um, Grimes is a wide receiver that Morris had at Incarnate Word. Grimes finished with a sat line. In through 12 games of 78 catches, 1,041 yards, and 14 touchdowns, that would have been good for wide receiver four last year. I don't really know which one of these wide receivers, if this system gets up and running, there's a lot of ifs here, I will admit. If this wide receiver room steps up, if this system gets going in year one, 
there's a potential for a top-tier wide receiver here with the amount of pass volume that I expect out of the mean green this year. This also assumes that either Jace Reuter or Chandler Rogers are a competent passer for them. If I had to go with one, I'd take the shot on Roderick Burns, even though he has burned me multiple times over the past couple of years. That is the guy I would take a shot on, round 20-plus, as a guy that could finish in the top 10 wide receivers on the year. Proton, who is your guy that you are willing to put your neck out for as a round 20 plus option that could finish in the top 10 wide receivers. Yeah. And I, I can't blame you for, you know, looking at North Texas. Gosh, I think that's one of the, the great what ifs of CFF this season. You know, what is that going to look like that passing tech? How is that going to materialize? Cause if we're going to get incarnate word, we're all in. If we're going to get Wazoo last year, we're probably all out. Um, but yeah, like you're saying, I've been trying to, to figure out, is it going to be Macklin? Is it going to be, you know, I've had a couple of rod burns in my day, so we all have, uh, I'd like to make sure that it is at least, uh, have aloe uh, on it. Anyways, I'm going with cam camper. Yep. I know Indiana. I alluded to it a little bit before Indiana, man, they want to pass. You got to respect them. They really want it to happen. They're not very good at it. <laughs> at least they weren't last year, you know, but the, the bad boy, Connor Basilek, is, is out of the play. 46% on standard downs was their run ratio. That is 11th lowest in the country. They want to throw. They want to go fast. 20.6 seconds per play. Fifth fastest in the country. 74 plays per game. 15th in the country in pace they want to go they want to throw and when they did brother it was cam camper who was getting those looks he got injured early don't get me wrong but you know like a meteor he shot across the sky in those seven games 82 targets in seven games 82 that is astronomical 45 catches sure yeah you didn't get as many as you'd like but, I mean, his outrageous usage rate uh, and fact that they obviously – there aren't a lot of competent options. Just about everybody hit the road who was, you know, uh, even acceptable. DJ Matthews, gone. Emery Simmons, gone. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Cam Camper's back. He had a couple options. He could, might, have, might have transferred. No, he's coming back to Indiana where hopefully, hopefully, highly touted – Redshirt freshman and Tennessee transfer Taven Jackson can give them at least competent quarterback play. I mean, that's all we're asking for. You know, he he did the understudy thing last year at Tennessee. Nico comes in, gets recruited. Milton's the start of this year. There's no path for him. He comes over to Indiana where they mercifully get rid of Connor Basilak and have somebody who actually has some passing acumen to actually grow into. Why not? Why not take the shot at Cam Camper with that sort of volume that he's been getting in? Like I said, I mean, he's late. After round 20, take a shot. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, that was one of the first names that I considered when I put, first posed the question. And then I went and looked on the show sheet. And you had already claimed him. So I'm in full, yeah. full yeah. agreement with you, Froton. Like, again, he was on his way to having a really good season last year. Through week five, or excuse me, through week four, he was a wide receiver 29. I think, again, you connect on a few more of those passes. Indiana, higher points per game, get a few more touchdowns in there. He is 100%. Yeah, they were brutal last year. 
100 percent mm-hmm. somebody that could rise up into the top 10 wide receivers this upcoming year love the call there i imagine camper's going to be jumping up draft boards here soon so Proton, this has been fantastic really really appreciate you coming on dude it is always a blast to have you on love the spirited conversations you always manage to get out of me whenever you come on real quick let the people know what you're doing over there at nbc sports edge for cff or anything else you're working on we want to hear it what's what you got sure well i have three off-season columns that you can all parse that are pretty much evergreen uh, on running backs wide receivers tight ends how their carries and target distributions work out and how that can help you to target sleepers uh, and just, you know, how you go and prioritize the positions uh, in your college fantasy football drafts. Besides that, I've been doing uh, about 2000 words on each big 10 team so far. Uh, I will have my Penn state and Maryland coming out on Tuesday and then the big boys, Ohio state and Michigan coming out on Thursday, my big team previews. Everything you wanted to know about the Big Ten, but were afraid to ask, I advise you to take a look at those. And also, we have the FSGA draft coming up, which yes, Jared sir. is in. Yeah, I know you're fired up about yes, that, sir. Oh, man. I'm very excited. The Fantasy Sports Gaming Association is the first ever college fantasy football league. The FSGA is done. We're both really excited to be a part of that. We have the Kings Classic coming up. Yes, sir. Uh, draft with John Lobb running the show there. Uh, in uh, Canton, Ohio, for the Fantasy Football Expo. And that's uh, those are a couple of big ones. And the 50-teamer the will be coming up there, too. The, the big uh, Big Ten 50-team college football championship, which everybody enjoys as well. So uh, those are the college fantasy-related stuff I'll have coming up. I'm sure I'll have a, a uh, you know article or two along those lines. But uh, you know, be on the lookout. Y'all absolutely go read each and every one of those columns that Frozons put out over there at NBC. Like I I read them and it changed the way that I thought about wide receivers and running backs specifically. He did a fantastic job on those columns. Tight ends he did a really good job on as well. But when you are able to change the way that other people who do this, I don't want to say for a living, but who do this stuff religiously, you know you did a good job. So absolutely go check out those columns from Froton over there. Really appreciate you, Froton. Really appreciate all of you guys out there listening. Catch the CFF live stream from this week with myself and Zach Hall. Otherwise, next week we finish up these crash courses with tight ends. So that's going to be a ton of fun. But really appreciate you guys listening. I hope you guys have a wonderful and blessed week. See y'all.